0: Good morning. uh, Let's pray this morning and just agree together that the Lord will do something, okay? Oh, Father, you're so much more approachable than we ever dreamed. We come to you today. We ask you to enlighten our heart. Turn the light on. That we can see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And that we can discover that glory where you have chosen to abide to make your dwelling place. Tune our hearts to hear you. Let there be light in our heart to see what a wonderful thing you have done and to receive it and to welcome it and to walk in it and to enjoy it and we bless you for that in Jesus name amen all right take your bible and turn to second corinthians chapter 4 and we're going to get there in a minute where is my temple Come on. Come on. All you guys. Where's my temple? Come on. What's the deal here? (laughs) I'm going to let you sit down because you're going to be here a little bit longer today. No, you're here. All right. Last week, we used this illustration to make our point. This is a picture of the tabernacle that God gave Moses' instructions to build. When he built the tabernacle, there was an outer court. It was the biggest part of the tabernacle. See? (laughs) It was the place where anybody could come. Gentiles could come. Jews could come. It was where there was an altar and there were sacrifices at there. But this was the outer part of the temple. And then there was the holy place. It was half again or twice as big as the holy of holies, but it was the place where the priests would go and minister. There were three things in there. There was a table, there was bread, and there was a candlestick. And then we have the holy of holies. And there was nothing in here but a seat for God. No candles, didn't need any candles. He was the light. Didn't need any bread. He was the sustenance. So Olivia, anytime your sisters give you any stuff, you just tell them, I'm the presence of God. Shut up. (laughs) All right? So now then, the same picture was whenever uh, Solomon built his temple. There was the courtyard, there was the holy place, and there was the holy of holies. And when Jesus came, he introduced a new temple to us. And that temple is us. He says, we are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. And what makes us up is an exact representation of the temple and the tabernacle that Moses built and the one that Solomon built. For we have an outer court. That's our body. That's what we can see. That's where our senses are. That's where we see, taste, smell, hear, touch. It's not us. We can exist without this body. But we can't exist without a body. Okay, there will be a new body. But this is our earth suit. This is what lets us function on earth. It's what we see what we taste, what we touch, what we experience this world with, we have a body. Then, we have a soul. This is made up of our mind, our emotions, and our will. This is where we choose from. This is where we decide from. This is where we think. This is where we emote, where we have emotions from. Also, this soul has a spirit. This right here makes up who I am. I am a soul with a spirit that lives in a body. Okay? This is who I am. All right? I am a, have a soul. I mean, I have a body. I am a soul that has a spirit. This is the place, if I'm a child of God, this is the place that God created in me to have direct fellowship with him. Before I met him, this part of my life was dormant. It was dead. It was unresponsive to God. But when I became a Christian, he came and quickened this. He made this alive so that I can respond to God. My soul can respond now to the God inside of me. The battle that we experience between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit is over this right here, my soul. This is where the battle. Ownership is not an issue. When I came to know Christ, I became his. He put his stamp on me. He came to dwell in me as a guarantee that I am his. And it says, to as many as received him, to them became the have the right to become children of God. So it's not about ownership, but it's about who it's going to serve. Is it going to serve the desires of the body, or is it going to serve the desire of the spirit? That's where the battle takes place. All right? Now, the purpose of this illustration, the purpose of this exercise is several things. First of all, the purpose of this exercise is to teach us to find God teaches how to find God. Now, granted, God can be seen anywhere. He's still in heaven. He's in the earth. We see him in nature. We see him in all kinds of things. But God has said, this is where I will meet you. This is where I will have fellowship with you. This is where I have Chosen to abide, dwell right here in you. And so the purpose of this exercise is to learn to find God inside of where he lives. Second part of it is to learn to value God and where he lives. We put a lot of value on this. We spend a lot of money on this. We give a lot of effort to this, a lot of time for this. And I'm not saying at this point that's right or wrong, but I'm telling you that this is what's valuable, is learning to dwell in this presence, to learning to find his presence, and coming to value that he lives inside of me. Another purpose of this is to learn how to go where God dwells. And for this illustration, what we're going to be seeing is that just as Man would come into the tabernacle, into the temple or into the tabernacle. He could go to the outer court. The priest could go to the holy place, and only the high priest could go to the holy of holies. But God has given us access to go through the body, through our soul, directly into the presence of God. He has made us priests. We have that right to do that. Not after the order of Levi, that was a heritage, but after the order of Melchizedek, and that's another story. But he has made us priests to enter the presence of God. How do we do that? How do we enter that presence? How do we get there? Another thing we wanted to share with you this morning, another purpose behind this exercise, is to learn how to live through this in the world God's put me extremely aware of this living inside of me so that the decisions I make out here are determined by this desire in here so that the choices I make out here are influenced not just by this, what I see, taste, smell, or hear, not just by how I feel, or what I think, but by this, out of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of me. And as I come to do that, As I come to realize the reality of those things, several things will happen. One is I will come to know experientially the love and the care that the Father has for me personally. Let me show you. This is where I read God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes to have perish. This is where I read that God loves me. This is where I hear that God loves me. This is where God loves me. This is where his love comes from. It's when I come into his presence and find his presence and value his presence that these things that I know in my head become reality because now he's loving on me. This is where I read the letters. This is where I take the honeymoon. You with me? Okay. That's one of the things that takes place there. Another one of the things that takes place there is this is where God transforms me into the image of his son. You can't be around God very long without becoming like God. And this is where I become, by being here, By learning to find this, by valuing this, by entering this, by remaining in this, this is where God begins to transform me into the image of his son. Now, we've gotten this idea that we can get him to transform us by doing all this stuff out here. And so it becomes externally based. If I do this, if I do this, if I do this, then God's going to do this. Transformation of God, the trigger, the trigger mechanism of learn, the trigger mechanism of being transformed into the image of God is the revelation of the Son. In His presence, He begins to change me. He begins to conform me. He begins to change my Warner. He begins to change my mind. He begins to change my desires. He begins to change who I think I am, and he reveals that to me. Not only that, but it's in here that Jesus' prayer in John 17 where he said, I pray, Father, that they would be one even as we are one. The word fellowship means oneness. As we fellowship with him here, we, become in, we come into oneness with the Father, the Son, and And the Spirit, the oneness in purpose, the oneness in motive, the oneness in desire, the oneness in drive, that's where we become one with the Father. It's not just by doing the external stuff. We can do the external stuff and never touch here. We can do the external stuff and God not even dwell in us. But as we find his presence... As we dwell in his presence, he begins to, con- to bring us into oneness with the Father. For so long, we've thought oneness meant we have to believe all, everybody believe the same thing, and then we'll be one. Well, that don't work out very well. First of all, ain't nobody going to believe the same thing about much of nothing. All right? It's not about that. It's about being in his presence and beholding him and him making that oneness in our heart to be what God wants us to be. So, it is from here, it is from here that I will experience his glory to be able to change the world around me that God's placed me in. Not just by my effort, but by his glory. Now, we also see something here. We see three different kinds of life. Okay? Three different kinds of life. Here we see, sorry, buddy, animal life. (laughs) Okay? All living animals see, taste, smell, hear, touch. That's animal life. That's not who we are, but we have a body that is driven with animal life, instincts, hunger, all of these things. Every animal on the earth has them. So there's an animal life here. Then we have a, soul, a human life. There's life that expresses humanity. Here's life that expresses who we are. But here we have God's life. We have God's life. Now, every one of us has somebody in our life. They're going through something. They're having a tough time. They're struggling with who they are. They're struggling with what they are. And our heart just aches for them, and we really want. How can we interject God into that situation? How can we bring God into that circumstance? Into that, how can we introduce God into that per, that person's life? Well. We might just interject human life, I mean uh, animal life. We might just think that, good job. We might just think, good job. We might just think, you're doing good. Listen, our cats do that. Our dogs do that animal life they come and rub up against us and they tell us you know and they make us they lick us and all you know and that's animal life now that in itself is not evil it can when it's motivated by this be encouraging but this in itself is just animal life or are we going to bring them soul life human life well here's my opinion about what you're going through Here's what I think about what you're experiencing. Oh, and in the South, this is the way we express human life bless your heart. Just bless your heart. You bless your little heart. I just, I feel your pain. That doesn't do me a rip, because it doesn't ease my pain at all. And now that just makes us both miserable. And what's worse is when we're miserable. We want everybody to be miserable like that's going to help the situation. All that soul life. Or or are we going to bring God's life to that situation? Are we going to be a carrier through our soul, through our body, to God's life into that circumstance that that person is going through? But listen, I can only bring what I have. if i don't have this this is all i got but if i've learned how to touch the lord if i've learned how to experience his presence then i have god's life to bring to that circumstance into that situation thank you guys y'all can go back now give him a hand listen i can't i cannot tell you the number of times That I would spend time with the Lord, sometimes in the morning, sometimes during the day, whenever I can. But I can't tell you the number of times that I would spend time with the Lord, and the Lord would give me something that didn't have anything to do with me. I'm going, so? What's the deal with that? But somewhere during the day, someone needed exactly what the Lord gave me that quickened their heart. Uh, turn the lights on. Wow, I didn't see that. I could have gone and said, Now, here's my opinion. Here's what I think you ought to do. And oh, I feel bad about that. And they go, So. I could have gone and patted them on the back and said, Yeah, good job, and all that. So. But bringing what God had given, what I had gotten from him, bringing what I had gotten from him into that situation, turned the lights on, and I never saw that. I see that now. I understand. That makes sense. Oh, I see what God's doing in that situation. I can only share what I am accustomed to living in. If I'm accustomed to living by my senses, that's all I've got. If I'm accustomed to living by my emotions and my mind, that's all I've got. if I'm accustomed to living in the presence of God, I have God's life to interject into any situation that he places me in. This body, one you saw, is the temple of God. May not be much to look at on the outside, but on the inside lies the glory of God. Look in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. No, verse 6. I, this verse 6 just has stuck out with me. For God, Second Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's an awesome verse. The one who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's this. You know, it's not the greatest thing in the world. You know, it's... A few chemicals and some water. That's pretty much it. But he placed this treasure inside of him. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. God could have expressed himself anyway. And he chose to express himself through the weakest being on the earth. Us that when the glory of God is revealed, it's revealed through us that it might bring glory to him and not to us. It's a miracle that God lives in any of us. It's a miracle that God expresses himself through us. Now look at what he said in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day that outer man is going to die it's going to decay it's going to go back to dust but he says that inner man is renewed every day i want you to look at this next one because this is so important for what we've been talking about for momentary light affliction and paul just talked about all the things he was going to going through and if he calls that light affliction then what we got ain't nothing But he says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. God's doing something beyond what you can imagine. While if we look not at the things which are seen. Susan portrayed this perfectly this morning. Look at the things that are seen. Look at the things that we imagine. Look at the things that we think. We look at all of those, and we think this is working nothing. We look at this pandemic. We look at all of the restrictions that they've placed on us. We look at all the fear that's been brought out there, and we think this is going to do nothing but destroy our culture. Yes, if all you do is look at the scene. But he says, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This glory lives in the hidden. This life lives in the unseen. He calls it a treasure. Now look in chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, therefore, from now on we we recognize no one According to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. We don't know him by our senses. We don't know him by our thoughts. We don't know him by our mind. We know him by his spirit. Now, it's easy to develop outward expressions of service and worship and my soul be void of God's presence. It's easy to do that. It's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to do all the things that we have been told, that's worship, yeah, that's worship. Look at, it. Look at him, he's worshiping. All of these external things, it's easy to develop that, and our soul be barren of the presence of God. How many ministries have failed because the emphasis was on the external and not on the internal how many we can two hands we couldn't name them all because the emphasis became on what was seen it became on the outside the emphasis became on the outside became the emphasis became on the in, external whether it was preaching or praying or worship or lifting her hands or dancing or whatever it's an external The inner life of God will have an outward expression. But just because there is an outward expression doesn't mean it is an automatic expression of the Spirit of God. The church is so easily duped because it's so unspiritually sensitive to what God really is. This is what Jesus said about those guys in Matthew and Mark. He says, you worship me with your lips. Yeah, you got that down. Boy, you know how to verbalize it. You know how to sing it. You know how to say it. You know how to proclaim it. But he said, your heart is far from me. What's inside is far from me. It's somewhere else. It's not given to me. If I don't learn to live in the presence of God's life, I will live in the lust of my flesh and the carnality of my mind. That will not produce maturity, and it won't produce life. It won't produce growth in the life of God, and Christ won't be formed in me. Look in Romans chapter 8. I love this chapter. But he gets pretty strong. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, he says, For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Now, notice something here. He says, they set their mind. There's a choice there. They choose to set their mind on the flesh or they choose to set their mind on the spirit. It's not forced on them. It's not automatic. It's not a given. I don't have to serve the flesh. Nothing in me can make me serve the flesh. The only reason I serve the flesh is I choose to set my mind on the things of the flesh. He goes on and he says. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh. Now, what does it mean to be in the flesh? It means I have set my mind on the things that Of the flesh. And he says that mindset is not neutral towards God. It is hostile towards God. Because it's saying, God, no, no, you will not control this area of my life. I'm going to control it. And that is hostile towards God. And he said, those who have set their mind on the flesh can not please God. Well, that's pretty strong. The ability to please God when my mind is set on the flesh is not there. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5. Verse... 16, he says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Remember the battle. Remember the battle is over the soul. The member of the battle is over the allegiance to the soul. Here's the soul who says, I I just don't seem to be able to do what I want to do. Why? There is a battle between the flesh and the spirit over who it's going to serve. And when it chooses to serve the flesh, there's nothing about that that pleases God And it interjects death in my life and robs me of life and peace. Look in verse 16. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2. You know we had to get some Ephesians in there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead, unresponsive in your sins and trespasses, in which you formerly walked. That's how you walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He says beforehand you could not respond to God. You were controlled by the desires of your flesh and the carnality of your mind. The battle is over the allegiance of the soul. When it comes to the Christian life, it's very easy and common to stay in the outer world and focus on our expressions without pressing into the life of God. Now, I don't want to diminish the significance of the body. The body in itself is not evil. It is important. It is the dwelling place of God. And its purpose is to express the inner glory of God to the outer world. How do I know what's inside? By what you show me on the outside. And See, we kind of send mixed signals. We say God's on the inside but then we're controlled by something else. The body's purpose is to be an expression to the world of the glory of God that's inside of us. It's the outer expression of an inward presence, and that's the whole purpose of giving us this body, that we might express that to the world. It's not to be in charge yielded to the spirit. Look in Romans 6. Go back over there. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desire. That word lust, we have a tendency to stick that word lust with purely a sexual connotation. The truth of the matter is lust just means strong desire. I can have a strong desire in my flesh for Oreos. I mean, that's got to be godly, right? Chick-fil-A, I mean, uh, Chicken Express sweet tea. We can have a strong desire in our body for all kinds of things. Not just a sexual thing. But he says... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now, let me try to give you a quick understanding here of what sin is because we've got this definition of sin. These desires that are in my body, in and of themselves, were placed there by God. Even the desire for sex. Sin is fulfilling a God-given drive in an ungodly way. You know the desire you have to eat? God gave you that. He wanted you to survive. You know when it becomes sin? When I use it as comfort. When I use it to console myself when I use it to escape my situation, when I use it for something other than God intended for me to be. The drive for sex in my body, God put it there. And the way God intended for it to be fulfilled is in marriage. It becomes sin when I fulfill that drive outside of the perimeters that God has given me. Sex is not bad. I like it. I mean, give me a break. But it only becomes sin when I choose to fulfill that drive in a way that God did not intend for me to do it. Look what he says. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, that word instruments there, there's another translation, another definition for that word instruments, and it literally means weapon, a weapon. Don't yield the members of my body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as weapons of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What should we say then? Because we're not under law, but under grace. May it never be. We just keep sinning. If I'm under grace, yippee, I can do whatever I want to do. Listen, God didn't die on the cross so you could do whatever you wanted to do. He died because you were doing whatever you wanted to do and you were bound to that, and you couldn't get free of that. Christ died, broke that bond, and now I'm free to do whatever God wants me to do. Not free to do anything I want to do. That's still sin. It was sin before, it's sin now. If I'm still doing what I want to do and placing God in it, I'm more deceived than ever. He freed me that I could do whatever he wanted me to do. Do not go on presenting the verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves of obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Now, listen. <clears throat> in 1 in Corinthians, just turn over there real quickly, chapter 6, he gives us the perfect picture of what our bodies is to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He said, and, and I don't know why the New American Standard put that translation in there. It says free immorality. Well, that's a general term, but he's talking about something more than that. He's talking about fornication. And that's the word. That, that's what that literally means. Flee fornication. For every sin that a man commences outside the body, but the immortal man Immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. My girls, from the very first moment they were old enough to listen. No, let me praise that. They were old enough to hear, whether they listened, I don't know, whether they heard. Anytime they left the house, this was the phrase they heard from me. Remember whose you are. Not who you are. Remember whose you are. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You have been paid for, and now your job is is to express his glory to the world that he's put you in. Listen, if we don't come to see that God's commandments are not to limit us, but to protect us, we will continue to challenge him when he instructs us to do something we don't feel like doing. Let me say that again. If we don't come to see that God's commandments are not to limit us, but to protect us. We don't see that. We will continue to challenge him when he instructs us to do something that we don't feel like doing. But I just feel it. I, I, it, it, I, it must be right. I feel it so strong. And then God says, that's not what I've got for you. Yeah, but I feel it. Listen, just because I feel it doesn't make it right. But if I don't understand that when God tells me something, that command is for my protection. He knows what sin will do to me and to my life and my relationships and my family, and he's trying to keep me from doing that. But if I don't see that, then when he asks me to do something that I don't want to do, you're just out of date, God. God. You don't know how the world is today. You're old. And you don't understand. I want you in these next couple of weeks to become familiar with four words. Okay? Determined. If I don't determine in my heart to find God's presence, I probably won't. Determined. Deliberate. If I don't deliberately choose to find his presence, I probably won't. Intentional. Nine out of ten times, I won't stumble on the presence of God. I must be intentional in my pursuit of finding him and living in his presence. Persistence. Persistent. <clears throat> if I came to you and I told you, you know, we did a geological survey of the area, and Caleb, we found that there is a million dollars buried in your backyard. Okay? Go get it. I doubt very seriously if Caleb would go down to Toys or Us, get a little kid shovel walk out in the backyard, scoop up one scoop of dirt, and go, it ain't there. Walk off. What would he do? He'd probably get a backhoe. There would be no backyard. There would be a pretend pool. He's going after the treasure. Listen, Paul says, we have the treasure of the Spirit of God in earthen vessels, dig it up. Dig it up. Are you going to be deliberate in going for it? Are you going to be diligent in going for it? Are you going to be determined in going for it? Are you going to be intentional in going for it? Are you going to be persistent in going for it? Or is it going to be a, hey, I tried that, okay? Well, how many times you tried? I tried it once. How long you tried I, Ten seconds anyway. Didn't find it. We have the treasure in hidden vessels. It's worth earthen vessels. It's worth more than a million dollars. Now what we've discovered in Scripture is that any time God was about to meet with his people, he called for a preparation of his people. When Moses was on the mountain and he said to Moses, I'm going to come down and meet with God. I want you to go down, consecrate the people and wash them, clean them, preparation to meet with me. The Ark of the Covenant, which expressed the glory of God, had been captured by the Philistines. They had taken it to another land. Israel had recaptured it. David's going to bring it back. But before he did, he had the priest. And Levites consecrate themselves before bearing the glory of God, before carrying the glory of God. Before any priest went into the Holy of Holies, even the holy place, but especially the Holy of Holies, before any priest went in there, there was an intricate preparation before entering the presence of God. And John the Baptist comes along, and what does he say? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare, prepare. You're about to meet God. Prepare. God is about to show up. Prepare. It was a message of repentance. Repair. There is still a preparation today for God's people on their journey to entering the presence of God. It's not because it gives me points before God. It's not so I can say Look what I did, God! Look at me! Look here! This is what I did. You got to let me in. I did this. I did. It's not to get points with God. It's not in order to earn the right to be there. But it's there to clear the distractions and directs my focus towards Him. It clears away the things that hinders me from enjoying his presence. Here's what I believe that looks like. Let me reemphasize something real quick. The purpose of this exercise, to find the presence of God, learn to value the presence of God, to learn to enter the presence of God, to learn to live out my life in the awareness of God's presence. What I'm going to give you for me, so far, has been the most effective way I know to do that. It's the same for others. I, I can list people in the body that will tell you today, as they learned to do this, God became real in their life, and he changed their life, and they experienced his love for them, and they experienced change that they'd never experienced before, and they experienced joy and they experience power as they walk out their life. It's happened to many who have been willing to pay the price. If there's another way to accomplish these objectives, I want to know about it. And I'll say that sarcastically, I want to know. I want to know how to find the presence of God, enter that presence, live in his presence, and enjoy his presence. So here's the overview of the practical. Brief phrases, still my body, quiet my soul, receive in my spirit, okay? Still my body, quiet my soul, receive in my spirit. Psalms 46.10 says, and we've quoted this in a lot of different contexts, it says, be still and know that I am God. That word still means idle, slack. It literally means slothful, weak. Be still, be weak, be idle, and know that I am God. Psalms 4.4 says this, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart up on your bed and be still it's going to be very difficult to quieten my soul if I'm giving in to the demands of the body. So my encouragement to you, my instruction is to you, find a still place. Find a quiet place. I know, I I get it. Some of you have younger kids. Do the best you can do. Okay? You'll have to grab it when you can. But if you're deliberate and intentional, you will grab it when you can. Okay? Find a still place, find a quiet place as free from distractions as possible. Get comfortable. Now, eventually, if you do this, you will learn to do this anywhere. One of the biggest challenges, I told you this before, one of the biggest challenges for me was to learn to do this in the dentist chair. Bill Cosby says it best. You remember, he said whenever the doctor sticks that deal in your mouth, the muscles in your rear start Puckering and just walking around, trying to avoid it. But for the meantime, find you a place that's comfortable, that's still. For me, I have an office chair upstairs, and what's my office? I have a toy box that sits. I guess it's a toy box. I don't even know what's in it. it. sits right here, and I sit here, and I get still. Now I mean I mean physically still okay I'm not talking about I'm not talking about that I'm talking about still that means not moving now this is going to be a real it took Joni several weeks to get there. she used to chew the inside of her mouth and she'd sit there and she'd be. Still, I mean, still, I mean, be still. Can you do that? Can you sit, can you sit somewhere still? Now this part I've gotten good at. I know sometimes people think I'm dead, but man, I I can get still. But even in that stillness, there is a whole lot going on that you can't see. Learn to get still. Learn to still your body. Learn to say no to all those things your body says. Hey, your truck needs washing. This we'll get to that. In a minute. But for right now, learn to be still. The desires of the flesh can draw me from His presence, but only if I obey them. When my body says. Go ahead and tap that foot. It's not going to hurt anything. I can get focused on that. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Uh Be still. Be still. I may not do anything for five minutes, but just hold that leg down. Be still. Be down. Be still. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. That means I control my body. Find you a place, a quiet place, a still place, and learn to be still. Seconds, and that may be all you can do at first. Seconds will turn into minutes. Minutes turn into hours. And hours will turn into constantly. We've been singing that song, "Linger." We didn't get to it today, but it, we've had it for several weeks. That song is so descriptive of somebody finding the presence of God. Until I lose time, till time becomes no more. If I'm like this, I promise you, you're going to go there for about thirty seconds. God, I thought I was here an hour take your watch off, take your phone off, anything that becomes a distraction to you, and be still. That's your homework this week. Find you a place and be still. Just do it. Just give it a shot. Be deliberate. Be determined. Be intentional. Be persistent. Do what you can do. If you can't do but 30 seconds, do what you can do and then come back and do it again, and do it again, all right? That's your homework. Be still. Be still. Still your soul. Still your body. Next week, we'll talk about quieting your soul, and then we'll talk about receiving in your spirit, okay? All right. Any
1: questions? Um, moms, train your kids. Get a chair that you don't do anything in that chair, but go to the Lord, or a corner, and train your kids to know when you're in that chair, they're to leave you alone. And practice it. I mean, if they come up, go up. Mama's having a quiet time. You Tell need them to you're go. in time out. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, make it. Mama's their time in time out, out chair. Yeah, make it their time out chair. But, yeah, train, train your kids that that is very important. Tell them you're going to be there 10 minutes. Put them in front of the TV for 10 minutes. Honestly, it's, I, don't, I don't think we should entertain our kids um, in front of the TV, but this is worth it. You find something that's going to entertain your kids for 10 minutes, and you let them know you're busy and you're not to be disturbed for 10 minutes. And um, what great training for them. I mean, one of these days, they're going to go, Mom, I'm having a quiet time. They're going to be in your chair having a quiet time. So uh, it's really important. That's so good. Um, I have taught early childhood for many years, and timers are really good. Now, I know Micah's saying sit for 30 seconds, but you know what? 30 seconds does feel like a lifetime. So in a practical way, again, I use a timer in my classroom after 30 years of teaching, and it's a, it's a clue to kids that, okay, now we can do whatever. So start with a minute. Start with the 30 seconds. But set a timer. He may not agree, but I'm telling you, for me and for a lot of people, it works. That I know I'm going to be sitting still, for 30 seconds, bit, okay, until you can increase that, and you don't even need the timer. So that's another practical. Okay.